All right. At the final awakening <laughs> uh, of our 40 days of prayer on the return of Christ. And uh, before we dive into that, uh, you sh- if you didn't get uh, some sermon notes and you like those, you can get those also. There's two kind of copies today. Uh, this uh, is kind of the normal thing that you're used to seeing, uh, those who take sermon notes. Uh, but there's also another full sheet, uh, double-sided, that is out there that, uh, you know, today's message, I'll get into it here in a minute, but it's going to be a little bit different than normal. And so, uh, anyway, I've got a bunch of scripture that is actually written out. Uh, we're going to have it on the screen as well that we're going to go through today. But if you would like to have a hard copy, uh, we have those available as well. So if you didn't get one of those and you want one, just lift your hand up and Katie can get you a, a copy of that. If anybody, a couple people, yeah. Very good. So uh, one of the, uh, one of the, Katie up here too, Karen. Oh, you're out now? Okay, we're, we're you don't get any. So <laughs> it's called the Bible. Uh, you're just going to have to whip back and forth. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be fun. No, it's on the screen as well, so it'll be good. <laughs> oh, you do got it. Oh, man. <laughs> Your husband loves you. Look at that. <laughs> All right. So the return of Christ, uh, you know, you, it kind of seems impossible to talk about the return of Christ without, you know, getting into the book of Revelation. <laughs> Sounds fun, doesn't it? So uh, we're going to do that today. Uh, but I, I just kind of set up a little bit. You know, this is uh, the book of Revelation is one of probably the most uh, interpreted studied and interpreted books of the Bible. It's also one of the most misinterpreted, uh, I think, books of the Bible. And it's probably one of the most controversial books and creates a lot of, you know, different perspectives in, uh, in the Bible. And so I think as a result of that, uh, there's a lot of Christians today that, I don't know, not necessarily afraid of it, but they kind of avoid it. Right. Matter of fact, you know, most pastors <laughs> avoid preaching on Revelation. And I will confess that I have no interest in <laughs> preaching through Revelation at this time, unless the Lord says, hey, we're preaching through it. Uh, I, I will give it to the, my previous lead pastor in Richland. His last sermon series that he preached was through the book of Revelation. And it was awesome. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. And fitting, too, this last one. And then he was, you know, he was just raptured right in front of us. It was amazing. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think, you know, the, the apocalyptic imagery uh, or just simply just the, all the symbolism and, and how hard it is to understand scares a lot of us away from the book of Revelation, uh, at least from really, you know, kind of trying to understand it, really reading it. Like, I think most of us probably have just read it. Uh, and then we get to the end and we go, oh my gosh, I don't know what that was about, but that was crazy, right? You know, uh, whatever. But, but I, I want to this morning um, try to kind of break maybe some of those, you know, perspectives. Uh, first, my purpose in this message today is to encourage our souls. Uh, the book of Revelation was written in a time of tribulation for people in the midst of tribulation, and it was written for encouragement. And so let me just say, you know, 
whether or not you know, we are in the kind of tribulation that some would describe Revelation is describing for us, some would say that <laughs> Revelation is describing for us, or not, doesn't matter so much as the reality is all of our lives in the last couple of years have been disrupted. And we are experiencing, and all of us individually and corporately at different times, experience tribulation and trouble. And so this book, if you're in tribulation and trouble, it's for you. It's meant to encourage you. So I preach this message today, first of all, to encourage our souls. Second of all, I hope to be able to demystify the book of Revelation a little bit. Not that I'm an expert. <laughs> I'm not. There's probably people in the room that know a lot more about Revelation, have studied a lot more than I have. That's not my point. My point is that I think so often we see it as so confusing and so, un not, you know, we can't understand it that we, uh, we shy away from it. But I, I don't think it's that confusing. And so this morning, I'm going to actually zero in on one particular word that we see throughout the book of Revelation. The word conqueror. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that word and we're going to track the connections of that word. First of all, to the Old Testament, because here's the reality. If you want to understand Revelation more, read the Old Testament. Throughout the book of Revelation, it is constantly pointing to images and perspectives and themes that are in the Old Testament. If you've never read the, New, the Old Testament, then you're going to struggle to understand Revelation because you don't understand the images that are being communicated. But if you've read the Old Testament and know that, then you will know Revelation better. So I'm going to track the connections of the word conqueror and some of the images that come out with that to the Old Testament. And then I'm going to track how it is revealed also in Revelation. And I hope by the end of this message, you'll be encouraged to go home and crack open the book of Revelation and enjoy. Finally, just as a word of note, this is a strange message, okay? If you're used to me and my preaching and, and what, you know, how I, you know, I don't know. Is there a way to get used to that? I don't know. Everyone, every week is different, right? Uh, anyway, but this is another different message, right? So this is not, you know, your typical Sean message. Uh, so we're going to do a lot of reading of scripture. That is why I hand it out. You've got the handout if you want that. We're going to have all of these passages on the screen because uh, we are going to read scripture today because I believe that it is the best way for each of us individually to really see the connections, Right? Uh, for me just to get up and say, oh yeah, back in, you know, uh, in, in the book of Psalm, it says this. You know, that, that can be effective uh, tool. But in this situation, I'm like, no, no, I want you to read it yourself. I want you to see it. And so we're going to take the time actually to read a ton of scripture today, which good news means you get a lot more of what Jesus said and God said and a lot less of what I say. So that's, yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. Um, and so I want to just, you know, encourage you to sit back in a sense, uh, relax. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be jumping in your throat much today, which is good. Uh, and, uh, but don't check out. I, I, I hope you will actually focus a little bit more this morning and, and see what we have here. So the book of Revelation, let me just start uh, by giving a little bit of uh, uh, background on that. Uh, it's uh, some basics, if you will, of the book of Revelation uh, is, uh, but let me read, first of all, Revelation 
chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. It's uh, in our, uh, for our passage for this. Uh, on the screen is going to be just verse 7, uh, but uh, let me go ahead and read all four verses here, five verses. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So the basics of the book of Revelation, first of all, author and the date, Apostle John is the one who wrote this, and he wrote it, most people believe, most evidence points to he wrote it in about 95 AD. Some will say it's in the 60s, but most evidence, again, is the 95 AD, but that's somewhat little importance, although some would say that's very important. Uh, the main audience is, as I just read, the church, specifically seven churches. Verse 4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, right? This, he's specific. That's the audience. The main point of the book of Revelation is, again, what I just read in verse 7. Jesus wins. Okay? He's coming back, and he's going to win. He is going to rule. He is, he's going he's gonna to take care of things, right? He's going to be the victor in the end. The occasion for writing why did John write this book? This is really important in interpretation purposes. Why did he write it? To exhort and encourage the church. Understand that the first century Christians who read this book were not confused by it. It is only us, 2,000 removes from what was going on at the time, that are confused by it. It, this was for the church at the time. They would have read this, they would have seen the imagery, they would have understood the imagery, and they would have been blessed by it, encouraged by it. There are some key themes in the book of uh, Revelation, judgment and wrath, victory and hope, and conqueror. The word conqueror, the the title conqueror, the theme conqueror, if you will, conquerors, is a New Testament theme. Matthew 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will indeed have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Understand, overcome is the same word as conquer, which leads me to this reality that the word conquer, which is in the ESV, is not in other translations, NIVs and others. Overcomer is the other word. But it's the same Greek word, right? So it's overcomer. This overcomer in Matthew that Jesus uses is the same word that we see in Revelation over and over and over again. Now, at the beginning of this book, we, saw, we find interestingly 
uh, uh, John, after the introduction, then goes and begins to write a letter or, or uh, dictate, if you will, not dictate, but write down the letter that Jesus is saying to the churches for two chapters. We have seven different churches that Jesus is going to speak to. And so we are going to, and in that, at the end of each of those letters, the word conqueror shows up. The word overcomer shows up in every letter to every church. And along with the word conqueror is then a blessing. So, he who overcomes will get here. This is the pattern, okay? This is the rhythm. This is what's going to happen. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at each of the blessings attached to the word conqueror in the seven letters of the churches. And then we're going to look at those images the blessings that are supposed to come for those who are conquerors. And we're going to look at those images in the Old Testament, where it came from. And then we're going to come back to Revelation and fast forward to the end of book, where we see the fulfillment of that blessing. This is amazing. As, we went, as I went through this, I was just like, this is really cool stuff. And so I hope you're encouraged by this, even though, again, it's a little bit different uh, kind of uh, sermon than we normally do. So let's jump right in. The first church is the church of Ephesus. In verse 7, actually, I've got all of these on the screen, so I'll be looking up there and reading from them instead of trying to flip back and forth in my Bible. Uh, so uh, Revelation 2, verse 7. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, skip that one. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, I, I missed that one. My bad. Yeah, there you go. So we're under the tree of life now. Yes, tree of life. So Revelation 2.7 says this, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, this is a pretty simple one, right? Think about Old Testament. If you've read the book of Genesis, first couple chapters, you probably are aware of this tree of life. And that's exactly where we're going to go. But before we do, the tree of life, understand, represents the sustaining power of Jesus for life. You know, this reality that we cannot continue to live unless we have Jesus' provision, uh, sustaining power. So, Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 to 9, it reads as follows. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we see this in the Old Testament. In the garden, the tree of life gave Adam and Eve the power for life. This is why they were kicked out of the garden after they sinned. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit more in a moment because they didn't want, God didn't want them to have access to the tree of life anymore. He was removing that provision because of their sin. Now, let's fast forward now in the book of Revelation to Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. So we see at the end of the age... When Jesus returns, he, we will enter into the eternal kingdom and we will be able to eat from the tree of life 
signifying that we will be given the power of life. So our hope from this conqueror blessing is that for those who conquer, we will enjoy eternal life. Amen. Second death. Now let's look at the next church, the church in Smyrna. At the end of this uh, passage, we see this uh, uh, expression about the second death. So Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, again, that word, again, over and over again, will not be hurt by the second death. The second death, of course, represents eternal separation from the presence of God. This is what eternal death is. And so here we have this promise in Revel to the church of uh, Smyrna that says that, hey, those who conquer, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Where does that second death imagery come from? Old Testament again, Genesis again, this time chapter 3, verse 22, which reads, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. He sinned. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so he's expulsed. there's an expulsion from the garden of Adam and Eve, and there's also an angel that's put before the tree of life to prevent Adam and Eve from getting to there. And so this is the, the imagery, again, is the second death, that they are separated from God, but they are, in, in sense, it's, this is not it yet, right? This is just the initial step. The next step was when they die, they will be totally and eternally separated from God. So we see this in Genesis, and then fast forward into Revelation at the end of the age when Jesus has come back. He's setting everything right. Revelation 20, verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. So we see that the hope that we have, those who conquer, the blessing that's to come, is that we will get to enjoy freedom from the second death. We will not be separated from God for all eternity. We will get to be with him. All right, that's second uh, uh, letter. The third letter is to the church in Pergamum. And we have Revelations 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Wow, that's a bunch, right? I mean, let's read that again. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one except the one who receives it. No one knows except for the one who receives it. All right, so manna represents, again, this should be pretty simple for those of us who have some familiarity with Scripture in the Old Testament. Manna was that stuff that fell from the sky when Israelites were in the desert for 40 years, right? So it is, it, manna represents the daily provision and blessing of Jesus. So the Old Testament passage, Exodus 16, verse 4 then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So manna was how God provided for the Israelites in the desert. They had no other food unless God provided it for them. 
every day they would go out and they would collect the manna that had fallen and they would make you know, uh, you know, a bread with it and they would eat it and that was their food for 40 years. Crazy. Um, now, uh, now, in Revelation 2.17, it says hidden manna. What does that mean? We're not just talking about manna. We're talking about hidden manna. Now, there is a, uh, the hidden manna is simply this. Uh, there was a Jewish belief that when the temple was destroyed in 587... Uh, BC, that, uh, that a, a port, so, you know, in the, in the uh, Ark of the Covenant, there was a portion of manna that was in the Ark. So when the temple was destroyed, it is believed that that manna was taken and hidden on a mountain nearby. And so the hope of the Jewish nation is to, is, is Jewish Israelites, is to, when they look to the future, their hope is they, they, they have the sense that when the Messiah returns, he will know where that hidden manna is and bring it out and allow them to eat of this manna again, right, as a way of blessing. All right, so this is a, a perspective that's there. So that is what this is talking about. This hidden manna is talking about this Jewish perspective about manna being hidden in the mountains. And so now let's go ahead and jump forward to Re into Revelation. Again, the end of the age, Jesus has returned, right? The, you know, the eternal king is being established. And what does it say? It says in 22 verses 1 and 2, again, we read these uh, passages earlier, but it speaks to the same kind of thing here. Then the angel showed them the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street to the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God is daily providing through the tree of life uh, uh, to the people uh, in, in, the, in, the, in our eternal kingdom. So uh, uh, everything is provided for the people of God in the eternal kingdom. Through the river, through the fruit of the tree, and through its leaves. And so our hope, those who conquer, will enjoy this daily provision from Jesus forever. Now, a couple other uh, uh, points that were in there. These, you don't, these passages aren't here, so I'm just kind of going off track here. Uh, Charlotte, so don't, don't get too excited yet. Uh, just know you so you know where I'm at. Uh, I just want to give a quick note. I, I, I didn't know how much time I was going to have, and so I probably don't have much time to do this on all of these, but I do want to note because this is really cool. The white stone and the new name piece that I read about in, actually, you could put up Revelations 2.17. Uh, so the white stone and the new name piece. Uh, there's uh, imagery in, uh, in the Old Testament in Isaiah 56.5, and then we see this in, at the end of Revelation, Revelation 19, 12, and 13. But the white and the... Uh, white and black stones were used in court. The black stone saying you're guilty. The white stone saying that you're uh, not guilty, not necessarily innocent, but not guilty. Okay. Uh, and so uh, the white stone that's given to us, right? Signifying that we are now guilt-free, right? That we're, no, we're not guilty, that we've been forgiven. We've been justified. And the new name uh, represents, of course, the rebirth in the spirit, right? We, we are in a new family, and so we're given this new name. And so those who overcome, those who conquer, are reborn and are declared just and they receive a new name. Okay, just some more imagery there, right? Uh, super fun. Uh, all right, next let's go on to the rod of iron. So Revelation 2, 26 and 27. This is the church of Thyatira. Uh, and uh, yeah, so let's uh, read that passage here. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. So we see the rod of iron represents the power and the authority of Jesus. 
And this is offered to the one who conquers. Where does this come from? Old Testament imagery, Psalm 2, 8 and 9. And this is a messianic psalm. It says this, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like potter's vessel. This is the imagery that's coming from in the Old Testament. Again, the Messianic Psalm describing the authority and the power of Jesus, which is given to to his people. Now let's fast forward to the end. Uh, Jesus is back, right? He's establishing his kingdom. Revelation 19, 15. And this is 16. Is that right? I don't know. Let me double check. Might have made a mistake. All these verses. How could that be? All right, it is 15. Okay, so uh, I think it might be the same. I might have just typoed there. So from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And so we see that Jesus is going to be, yeah, he's the rod of iron. He has that authority. He is the authority, and he has the power. He is ruling for all creation. And so... So the hope for those who are conquerors is that they will enjoy ruling with Jesus. Moving on to white garments. So now we are in uh, Revelation chapter 3, the church of Sardis. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. And so the white garments represent the purity of the imperishable and immortal bodies which we will receive in the, at our resurrection. This is the hope. This is the, the, the offer to those who conquer, that they will receive these white garments. And so the Old Testament, where do we see this? Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2, where we see Jesus in these white garments. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment stretching out the heavens like a tent. So Jesus, the Messiah, is depicted as pure and glorious. And then we fast forward to the end of the book when Jesus returned, Revelation 19, 13, and 14. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on their horses. So we are depicted here at the end time with pure, as being pure and glorious. But note the garment of Jesus dipped in blood. His garment, Old Testament, was white. You know, it's this glamorous, glorious white robe, right? And then you go to the end of time after he has cleansed us of our sin. His robe is now dipped in blood, right? And so this amazing kind of imagery here, uh, contrasting the blood-stained robe of Jesus with our pure robes of new life. And so the hope for those who are conquerors is that we will enjoy a new, perfect, and glorious body. 
Uh, just a brief note on uh, the, uh, the, the book of life and confession. The book of life represents the names of those who have freely chosen to accept Jesus and uh, repent of the rebellion and live their life in honor and trust in Jesus. And so uh, in, in Exodus 32, 33, we see uh, something about the book of life. In Revelation 20, 15, we see the end of the story. Interesting, in Matthew 10, 32, there's also this confessing piece where Jesus is talking about the fact that if you deny me before men, well, I'll deny you before king. But if you accept me or you proclaim my name, I'll proclaim yours. And we see that same imagery in uh, Revelation 3, 5, that, uh, uh, that Jesus is confessing our name uh, in defense of our life, even when the accuser comes uh, to try to accuse us, right? And so those who overcome, those who conquer, will never have their names blotted out of the book of life. And, and Jesus will defend their salvation before the accuser. That's the imagery there. So beautiful stuff. All right, moving on to the next church, uh, the church of Philadelphia. In chapter 3, we have uh, a pillars of temple. So uh, Revelation 3.12. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So the uh, temple pillar represents a permanent fixture which cannot be removed. Now in the Old Testament, there's discussion talk about these pillars in exit uh, excuse me in first Kings 721 he set up the pillars at the vestibule of the temple. He set up the pillar on the south and called its name Jacob. And he set up the pillar on the north and called its name Boaz. Note that the temple pillars are representative of individual people that we know. I mean, these are, these are guys that are you know, part of the kingdom of God. So uh, the pillars of the temple were given names. And so we look forward to being a pillar in the future temple of God. And so when does that come? That comes, of course, at the end. Revelation 21, 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. See, there's no physical in this eternal, and there's no physical temple in the eternal kingdom because the temple is Jesus. So, what does that mean for those who conquer? Our hope is that we will enjoy permanent oneness with Jesus. Finally, the last church, that of Laodicea, the famous Laodicean church. Everybody wants to be like them. Uh, Revelations chapter 3, 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Sitting with Jesus on his throne represents our betrothal to him. In the Old Testament, we see this betrothal uh, language, imagery, Isaiah 54, 5 and 6. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. For the Lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit, like a wife of youth when she is cast off, says your God. Old Testament marriage imagery about, you know, uh, the Israelites being married to God. And that is our eventual hope. That's our hope for us as the people of God. And we see the fulfillment of this at the end of Revelation in chapter 21, verses 2 and 3. 
And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. At the end, we become, it becomes a reality as the bride is united with the lamb for all eternity. So our hope, those who conquer, will enjoy being wed to our Savior, to our bridegroom, to our husband. Amen? All right. So, big question. How do we become a conqueror? Right? I mean, we have all of these amazing perspectives here about being a conqueror. The things that we get, right? That we get this tree of life, like eternal life is ours. That the second death, we don't have to worry about the separation from God. That we get this daily provision and blessing from Jesus in the hope for those who are conquerors, right? For those who are conquerors get to rule with Christ, right? This is a great thing. Uh, For those who are conquerors, we get this new life, this resurrected life that is pure, imperishable, immortal. This is something we want for those who are conquerors. We get to be pillars in the temple, which the temple is God and so we get to have this unity with Jesus for all time. And we get to be with him. We get to be married to him. We get to be betrothed to him and sit on his throne with him. This is all amazing stuff, amazing blessings for those who conquer. But how do we conquer? Revelation 21, verses 7 and 8. The one who conquers will have this heritage And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Are we conquerors or not? Are we going to get rewarded or are we going to be punished? There's a big difference here between those who are conquerors and those who are not. So how do we become overcomers? How do we become conquerors? 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. In John 10, 27 and 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. We become overcomers not through our own strength, not through our own abilities, not through our own efforts, not through towing the line, not through checking off the list, not through being legalists. No, we become overcomers simply by leaning into Jesus. Because Jesus indeed is the overcomer. 
And our only hope of being able to be uh, with him for all eternity is to seek him. Folks, our, our job as Christians is not about trying to be righteous. Our job as Christians is about getting to know Jesus because he is the one who is righteous. He is the one who is the overcomer. If we want to be overcomers, if we want that identity, then we need to know him. We need to be with him. We need to understand him. We need to have and be aware of him. It is in the strength of Jesus and the ability of Jesus that we become overcomers. This is the encouragement of the book of Revelation. It is not a book of threats. It is not a book to make us fear for our lives. It is a book to encourage us. To say, Jesus is the victor. He's the overcomer. He's the great conqueror. So seek him, know him, be with him, and you will get all the rewards that come with being the son of God. Our hope is in knowing and, and (laughs) our hope is in knowing and enjoying Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, church. Let's go into some worship. What time we got? My phone. Oh, wow, look at that. We got five minutes to do a song, and then I'll come back up and uh, close with another passage. Yes, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your victory, Lord. You are our hope. You're the one that we, we need. You're the one that we, we can't do it. It's impossible. We couldn't get salvation. We can't become a conqueror on our own. Our only hope is in you. So, Lord, help us to see that reality. Lord, I, I pray that you would encourage our hearts today, no matter what we're in, no matter what trouble we're facing, no matter what trial or tribulation that we're enduring right now, that we would sense your presence with us and we wouldn't try to fix it. We wouldn't try to uh, defeat this tribulation on our own, but we would simply turn to you and cry out to you and say, Jesus, I need you. You're the one who gives the, the victor. You're the one who will conquer, and I want to conquer with you. So, Lord, have your way in me. Do your will. Do what you've come to do, Lord. We love you, and I need to read a different passage than what I was planning because it's just what it is. So we're going to read a different one. If I can find where that book is, my favorite book in the world. There it is. Found it. Here we go. Romans 8, gosh, it's such a great chapter. We read it at the beginning, but we now, I, I want to, you know, we didn't know what we were reading at the beginning. Now we know what we're reading, so let me read it again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen? Amen. God bless. If you would like prayer, we've got guys who would love to pray with you. Have a great week.